welcome everybody to this week's episode. We really appreciate you joining us. This podcast really shows us how we can all learn, live, and thrive off of each other. By sharing our knowledge through our conversations, we will impart some knowledge whilst learning ourselves how to progress even further. Here is your host. everyone, you are listening to Keeping It Teal with Kelly Knight, and today I have Jillian Genta back again with us. Hey Jillian, how are you today? I'm doing so great, Kelly. Thank you for having me back. I'm really excited to continue talking about some of my favorite topics. Awesome. I'm so glad to hear that. Yeah, I'm really glad that you agreed to come back because what we're going to talk about today is so very important. I mean, it's it's truly paramount to have conversations that include racism and marginalization. Right. But um, let me refresh everyone listening. Um, Jillian is a yoga therapist, and she works with trauma survivors. And I'm just going to say again, she is amazing, and her skills and her knowledge about the therapeutic qualities of yoga are just are remarkable (laughs) Um, and um, you know uh, so we talked with Jillian in a recent podcast that you can find in the keeping it till playlist and in that podcast we went fairly in depth as to how her her therapy sessions work and she helps uh, trauma survivors to heal so um, you know it's a fascinating podcast and I invite everybody to go listen to it but um i'm gonna just let jillian give a little bit of a brief synopsis of what she does just you know if if you haven't listened to it yet and you want to keep listening to this one just kind of give us a, a you know just a brief synopsis of what you do thanks yeah so um so what i do as a yoga therapist is i use multiple approaches from a lot of different disciplines that range from ethics to spirituality to movement to breathwork to mental focus to help support people in whatever their healing journey happens to be. Um, I actually had the conversation with a friend a couple days ago of what does it take to go from being a victim to a survivor? And of course, often we fall into one category or often both categories, but to me, it, it takes some steps to actually go from the victim state of consciousness to the survivor state of consciousness. Consciousness. To me, the survivorship comes when we've started to really turn in the direction of the things that have ailed us and start to, start to resolve them within ourselves. So that's my role as a yoga therapist is to put together programs with people, with small groups, um, to help them take those steps toward feeling like someone who actually has survived and is not simply um, replaying their traumas on in the background of, of their day-to-day life. See, everybody, see how fascinating she is? <laughs> and I love that, um, that perspective because, you know, this year we've kind of been our, our um, theme has 
kind of been around empowerment and you know finding your power and stuff and what you do just you know is hand in hand with that mm-hmm. but today yeah. yeah today we're gonna talk about um about that but how racism fits in and how impactful it is um it's it's essential for us to to have these conversations and to understand Mm -hmm. that stress and trauma specifically created by inequity and exclusions have physical and uh, mental ramifications so yeah yeah so I don't know let's you're you're the expert so let's let's delve in and um, you know get started yeah yeah we can start to unpack that stuff the interesting thing right now is that so many people are looking back at their lives and they're able to see how they've grown especially since um this is not the first time that the black lives matter movement has surfaced for a lot of us i'm in my 30s uh this movement started to surface many 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 years ago and we can look back at these different plots in our timelines and start to see our own growth. So one of the things that I find really fascinating is that people are starting to have really tough conversations now that previously they weren't ready for. They weren't ready for them for whatever the reasons were. Often it's really difficult to have conversations like these when we have a lot of unhealed areas. We can find a lot of overlap between the sufferings of different people um, and not that some traumas are are worse than others. Everyone's traumas, you know, they're so individual and how we perceive them is how they are. But for large groups of people, the trauma has been so vast. And if you have a mirroring trauma or something very similar that happened to you that is also unhealed, it can feel really challenging to hold space and to hear someone else's plight without getting triggered. Right. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. So, so often it comes across as a lack of empathy, and in many ways it is. But any lack of empathy just means that there's more understanding, more healing, more awareness work that has to be done to fully accept honor and integrate the things that have happened for us that's very so i think it's really important to talk about needs and privilege and how those two start to come together and work together absolutely absolutely so with um with privilege i think when we approach privilege as um something more similar to gratitude people will latch on to that in a different way um so if you think about counting your lucky stars privilege can also be in addition to something a privilege definition would be something like an unearned benefit right um but there are different types of privilege there are different types of wealth and currency right so for us it's it's non-exclusive to money wealth shows up in a lot of different ways as a lot of different currencies and it's 
impossible to deeply understand privilege without understanding trauma. So if we go and reference something like Maslow's hierarchy of needs, um, we're able to now look at this pyramidal structure that has this vast foundation and start to look at what some of our needs are as human beings. And it gives us a framework to understand what happens to us and how shaky our foundations can be when the baselines aren't strong enough to build upon, when those needs aren't being met. Right. Right. And that makes total sense because you're talking about currency and, and wealth and you know, somebody's ability to to walk down the street without the fear of being chastised. That mm-hmm. is def- that's what you're talking about. That's that's a form of wealth that some people have and some people don't. Right. As we look at um, Maslow's hierarchy of needs, we can look at the base, and those are our physical needs. Those establish the baseline for a currency of health, of basic nervous system health, basic brain health. On top of that would be safety, my physiological currency. Mm -hmm. Um, On top of that, emotional. um, Do I have mental health? Do I have emotional health? All the way up at the top, assuming that we've had strong enough foundations to build ourselves upward, we have self-actualization. And it's totally dependent on whether or not my needs in other places have been met. Am I able to honor a higher calling? Um, Do I have enough of a foundation to make that climb to the top of the pyramid where I actually become my most evolved self? Or am I trapped in just trying to put food on the table? Am I trapped in just trying to keep myself healthy enough with a full night of sleep? Right. Yeah, that's that's so integral. I mean, if and if you lack in some places, it definitely affects uh, others areas, like you know, just like dominoes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's actually. I'm going to use that, Kelly. <laughs> I've never used that analogy before, but you're exactly right. Um, because traumas and the lack of these strong foundations, if any of these needs are going unmet, we, we will qualify it as a trauma. Um, because trauma impacts your brain, it also impacts your nervous system. So when any of these needs go unmet, it creates dysregulation. Mm-hmm. Um, things that are not normal start to become normalized. We start to get used to things, even though they are no good for us. If I come home every day and I sit down with 10 ice cream sandwiches, I know that's not good, but eventually if I keep repeating that habit, it does come, it does become normal. And these traumas actually start to rewire the brain. There are three primary ways that that happens, but overarching, it just leads us to become more fear driven in particular. And fear is really important <laughs> on, um, on a physiological functioning level, because when we are in a state of fear, we are automatically more uh, geared toward looking for negative things, looking for threats in the environment. We have our guard up. Um, And staying too long in that state causes that nervous system to no longer function properly. We are meant to have um, 
a smooth, flexible balance between going into fight or flight and being able to actually rest and build community and feel safe with our with our people and let our guard down and connect. Right, right. Wow, you know, and it's if you if you are in a constant state of that, you know, caused by fear, how can you get relief? You know, even when you think you're getting relief, even when you are in a downtime, if you're in that, you know, constant fight or flight, you know, mode, then how is it possible to for the rest of your body to relax? It's interesting that that you bring that up because when when the nervous system becomes um, dysregulated, we will often find maybe these periods where we might be able to downregulate, but we still don't have the skills to do it. It's still something that's way too rusty for us to really access. So if we need to calm down, we'll resort to some of our coping habits, some of our coping mechanisms. Often they're not great habits anyway if we don't have something that's really familiar to us, such as breath work, such as yoga, such as going out into nature. Not all of these things are readily available, especially if poverty has been an issue, whether it's um, physical poverty or even poverty on the emotional level. Um, so a, a couple of really interesting things start to happen when we look for those coping mechanisms and reach for the ones that are familiar but not healthy. Right, like the ice cream sandwiches, because that, yeah, because I mean it does it makes you feel good, or you know, if, you know, some people reach for other things that are a little more detrimental, um, alcohol, drugs, and kinds of things. But mm -hmm. but it's true, and that I'm it's sure that gives gives you if you you know I guess if you drink enough, then you get tired, then you actually do you know you don't think about things, but it's doing other detriment to your body it is and ultimately as a practitioner whether or not whether or not someone engages in unhealthy coping mechanisms no not so much my business but we do get the opportunity to learn new ones so even as we transition and we start to learn new skills um, we will sometimes reach for a glass of wine and we'll sometimes remember to do breath work and so it's never just a cold turkey kind of approach where if you have a glass of wine or you have an ice cream sandwich or or whatever your present coping mechanism happens to be whether you know often we'll use other people we'll use sex or casual relationships or different things like this um we need to even let go of the perfection of uh, trying to always go for our positive coping because these are well-worn grooves and, and it takes a lot to break them, but it's certainly doable. Right. Well, that's good news. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, you know, um, yeah, so, so right, you know, right now we're, we're, I think there's a lot of discussion about you know, making changes in things. However, um, we're in that process. 
So what, what are some things that people can do? So what are some outlooks that we can do like in, in this process of change and hope, you know, hopefully attaining a goal one day of, you know, everyone in harmony. Um, but what do you, what are some suggestions you can give? Some of my favorite suggestions, I'm just going to prattle off some of my favorite things. Okay. Um, when you're choosing a, a new coping skill or a new habit that you want to form, and you're not sure if it's, if it's the best one for you, you can hold it up against a couple of parameters. One, over my long term, if I were to invest in making this an everyday thing, would it enhance my health or would it break it down? The second one is, if I were to invest my time in building this habit and make it an, making it an everyday thing, would it build my community or would it harm them? And then you can even take that to the world at large. If, you know, who knows what kind of impact it could have. Is it something that builds the world or breaks the world down? Does it build my family or does it break my family down? So some of the ones that I readily go to me going for a walk in the woods is always going to be a win, 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 win scenario for everybody. Um, when I go into my dance studio and I let loose, that's going to be a win, win, win across the board again. Um, if my, if my coping mechanism of choice becomes breath work, again, wins across the board. And these are some of my favorites, but you might be someone who's really into archery or horseback riding or just petting your dog. There are different ways to start to build these skills that can be either completely free or very low cost um, and that can really build you in a very positive way. Right. That's, yeah. Um, great, great advice because you, you brought up at a low cost because that is a, a factor in some people's lives. You know, that's what, that is one of the, uh, you know, factors that creates a fear. You know, if I, if I spend money on this, I may not have money, you know, to go do this. So it might be something fun. It might be entertaining and it might be good for the family, but you know, it might be something that is eventually down the road. Um, it does create, you know, the, a fear of not being able to pay a bill or something so you know you might go to you know play golf putt putt or whatever um but then you spend all that money and then you know you don't have it whereas if you go for a walk in the woods or if you go to the park or something it's you get the same benefits absolutely and there's so much to gain from forming some of these really healthy habits for ourselves um, so often in, in traumatized communities or even just trauma on the personal level, that lack of, of being able to downregulate to relax into the body um, and build some safety keeps us from having really pleasant relationships, which is one of the coping mechanisms that um, can be really, really healing and really, really rewarding and totally necessary. Social interaction is necessary for health, but without safety, you won't have proximity to people. Without proximity, you won't have any actual contact. And without contact, frequent contact with people, 
you won't be able to form the bonds and have those hormonal boosts of things like oxytocin that make your bonds and your friendships really strong. So if you've never felt safe, if you don't feel safe, you can't really form bonds and relationships that are devoid of safety are not healing, but also relationships that have safety in them are so exponentially healing as well. Right, exactly. Yeah, I mean, having that support system, it, you know, when you, you know, are experiencing something negative, yeah, that's, that's worth a lot. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, um, I don't know. So what is there, what else um, are some of the other things that we can um, put in the context of, of the oppression that some marginalized communities feel? I think one of the keys to understanding marginalized communities is the fact that when you are in a marginalized community, when there's so much poverty in play and so many disprivileges that have become the normal landscape, um, it's important to understand that trauma becomes cyclical. Right. And we can see this, yeah, yeah, it's interesting. We can see this on the genealogical level, um, meaning that chronic stress influences how our genes express. They can turn on diseases like cancer, like cardiovascular disease, and they can turn off the health associated with a nervous system. So as a result of being in poverty, um, we're more susceptible to disease and illness. It's also really important to know that all bad behaviors stem from a need, and that need is soothing a dysfunctional nervous system, trying our best to downregulate with the tools that we have. But the theme overall is that needs are going unmet, whether it's the basic food and shelter, whether it's safety, um, whether we're striving for social connection, um, that unhealthy nervous system that do doesn't allow us to calm down enough to even form the bonds. It breeds a theme of every man for himself you know, or even on the family right. context, these four and no more. Right. And um, yeah, and there are a lot of factors that go into building these cycles, these negative cycles. Um, if you wanted to Google it, there is a questionnaire, it's 10 questions. It's called the Adverse Childhood Experiences Questionnaire. And it denotes 10 different areas of development. Um, and it's important to look at childhood too because the brain is still really early in, in its formation. Up until age three, we share almost our whole nervous system with our either our mother or whoever the primary caretaker happens to be um, and, and get that template. We are super impressionable mentally, physiologically um, on that nervous system level. So let's say mom goes through something or some kind of traumatic incident happens or mom struggling to put food on the table, we go through it with her by default because her nervous system is ours. Wow, that's so and interesting. Then, 
I mean, it's, I, I totally see it, but I, you know, it's kind of like a light bulb is going on right now because that's yeah. so true. Yeah, it's incredible stuff. And then as far as other experiences, it makes sense that, of course, if there's violence in the home or sexual abuse or substance abuse, or if um, mother and father have been separated or I'm being raised in a single parent family, um, the poverty and the basic needs are not going met. So we start to pull on and call on other coping mechanisms in a turn in attempt to uh, soothe the nervous system. Mm -hmm. So things like letting off steam start to become normalized violence, um, coping in, in a way that just is more reactive than responsive to how we feel. Um, it also, if we look at some of the statistics in more impoverished areas, a lot of the robberies are related to meeting basic physical needs or perhaps taking things that are a higher value in order to then go and meet basic physical needs. Right, um, right. We start to use drugs in an attempt to smooth, uh, to soothe ourselves. There is an uptick in gang um, activity. They provide protection, which is a need. They provide community, which is a need. Um, ultimately, we're subject to all these mindsets and behaviors that we copied during formative years. And these are just common needs that have gone unmet. And so as we kind of run through that list of violence, robberies, drug use, gang activity, um, these are attempts to soothe that are also um, criminalized. So that is something that needs to be considered. Um, if let's say head of a household or the children growing up are going all with all their needs unmet and these are the ways that they're trying to meet them, now we're starting to take away parents to incarceration. We're starting to endanger children in gang activities. Um, and so this poverty cycle and this trauma cycle starts to just go and move on its own. Yeah, and, and then, yeah, we have results that are not good for anyone. We have high incarceration rates, we have um, higher violence, and that's all stemming from lack of needs being met. Right, and ultimately, especially on the level of our crime and punishment system, that is not one that is meant to rehabilitate, although we always point to that as the, the attempt to modify a behavior. The only way to modify the behavior is to meet the need. Right. People are becoming damaged when they've been damaged and they're not rehabilitated. It's not the same, um, rehabilitating is not the same as punishment and trying to force someone to be different. The rehabilitation actually comes in meeting the need, um, learning how to soothe the nervous system and then layer by layer in that Maslow's hierarchy of needs, meeting basic physical needs, providing safety in a way that works because we've been doing things often in ways that do not work to our highest and best good, uh, to the highest um, level of efficiency. 
right, and, right. and starting to, and once those are met, um, the higher level needs start to also fall in order. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I can see, you know, in, um, you know, from the community, the white community, if you, people are much more understanding are don't you know um, assume things and are just more open to hear about what's going on and to have you know just um that that will all be part of the the healing process and meet start meeting some of those needs because the fear level goes down and um just in general and I, I can see how that would only help. Absolutely. Ultimately, meeting these needs, whether um, whether we came up bottom of the barrel or somewhere in between, meeting our needs is what ultimately makes us more empathetic, more compassionate, more willing to sit down and stay out of our trigger zone and stay curious with people. And, um, and start to take some really beneficial steps forward together as a group. Right. Absolutely. We can hope. We can hope that, that, that we're getting there. We are. It'll be a <laughs> slow go of it. That's okay. It'll yeah. Take some time. I, I have faith in, in the, the, the human race that we'll, we'll get there one day. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> Well, um, Jillian, thank you so much for talking with us about this because you're right, it is, um, it can be a very uncomfortable topic that some people don't want to address. And the only way that we're going to eradicate these, uh, you know, what the whole conversation, you know, that we had today and, and be able to fill people with with uh, positive experiences is if we do address these issues and we do talk about them and we do understand and empathize. So I just am so appreciative that that you wanted to talk to us about this today. Mm, it's my pleasure. Thank you so much. I very much subscribe to, we can't just love and light our way out of things. We need to look at reality. And, um, and even if it's painful or even if it's dark, our, our healing and our ultimate growth comes from addressing it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, let us know where we can, where um, if any, somebody's listening to you and they would like to talk to you, how can they find you? You can find me just about everywhere. Um, the easiest access points are my website, which is www.jillianjinta.com. Um, that's spelled J-I-L-L-I-A-N-G-U-I-N-T-A. Um, you can find that same name on Instagram, same ham- handle. Uh, you can find me on Facebook. And please don't be shy about uh, dropping me a line. I love to hear from you. Awesome. Well, thank you again. I'm going to say our little uh, our little uh, legal jargon right now. Um, <laughs> it, <laughs> The opinions, findings, and conclusions or recommendations expressed in this podcast are those of LaFossa and do not necessarily reflect the views of the Department of Justice or LCLE. 
This project was supported by subgrant number 2017-VA01-5194, awarded by the Louisiana Commission on Law Enforcement through the Office of Victims of Crime, Office of Justice Program. Thank you again, and please look up our uh, previously published podcast with Jillian, and you can find out all sorts of cool stuff about what she does in addition to her um, wisdom that you heard today. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you again, and goodbye, everyone. Have a wonderful day.